0: Stone Chapter Seven: The Sorting Hats. I am your co-host Rebecca.
1: I am your co-host Madison.
0: Today we are getting sorted into houses. We
1: aren't. But. (laughs) But we are in the royal, the general sense. We as the class of Hogwarts 1997, which we are, us, you and I, definitely,
0: definitely. I was in class of (laughs) 1997. For sure. I was three years old, but it was a yeah, good no. time. It was a great time. Yeah. All right. Everyone is sorted into houses. We get some backstory from some of the characters. It's not super relevant to us, but we get it anyway. Mm-hmm. We also do get some things that are relevant, such as the out of, nope, the off-limits areas to the ah. students. Um. So we can't go into that certain hallway and we can't go into the forest, which of course means that we're going to do both of those things later on. Definitely. Mm-hmm. And then we also decide to um, discuss corals turban, because that's... Unfortunately, that does become relevant later on. I say unfortunately, because it's not discussed in an appropriate way, I believe. But we'll get into mm. that a little bit later in the episode. Oh, yeah. And we're also very briefly introduced to Snape, and we will get... <laughs> <laughs> will be further introduced in later chapters. <laughs> but um, we're already deciding to blame things that are Quirrell's fault on Snape and I'm not opposed to that because he deserves it anyway
1: (laughs) because they wouldn't be we wouldn't be in this situation Voldemort wouldn't be on the back of Quirrell's head if it wasn't for Snape in the first place
0: Harry would not have been raised by the Derseys if it wasn't for Snape in the first place
1: if you like Snape and you're listening to this podcast then you might be (laughs) listening to the wrong podcast
0: (laughs) we'll try Um, but um, it's not going to go anywhere unfortunately I'll try very briefly (laughs)
1: <laughs> no you don't just don't even <laughs> don't it's not worth it That's not worth it uh
0: long story short we're gonna be very biased um sorry but also kind of not sorry so
1: right okay just know what you're getting into these are the ingredients on the back of the label <laughs> um speaking of ingredients <laughs> let's go to patronus fuel patronus fuel <laughs>
0: So, going in a different direction, these are things we actually like after. Yes.
1: Um, do you want to go first? Sure. Um, Peeves is amazing. And I have deep appreciation for an agent of chaos in any situation. Um, Certainly, in my everyday life, they can be inconvenient, but chaos is the spice of life. Chaos is what keeps life fresh, and I love Peeves' commitment to chaos, that he is the spirit of chaos, and somebody needs to cause trouble at Hogwarts because, frankly, like, People need to be constantly remembering that Hogwarts is a place where problems occur. So the more Peeves causes problems, you know, the more we realize, wait, there are things happening that we need to fix. It never seems to fix the rest of the situation, but it's a good effort.
0: I think that Peeves is probably fully thriving in
1: 2020. Oh,
0: 100%. This is his time. Like, I don't think he's... He probably ever thought that a year would be so perfect for
1: him, and this is it. Imagine the songs he's singing. Oh, just, just the little, the jingles, just vibing. <laughs> Pure vibes.
0: Um, I love, I love a good chaotic neutral. I think he's probably the only like truly chaotic neutral we have in this mm-hmm. series that I could think of, because there's so much like good, evil, like it's very um, it's very binary and is just like fuck all this like i'm gonna go have some fun he's never like on one side or another like he just mm-hmm. does, he doesn't seem to have you know he loves like the weasley twins but that's because they're equally kind of chaotic they but are. even they are like still you know on the you know technically yeah. good side of things is the way they're chaotic, at good. This. They're I chaotic good i would say so yeah. I love I love a, a neutral character. I think it's it's interesting and it's fun.
1: Oh yes, yes.
0: Speaking of Fred and George, that's my patronus feel here. Is um, the Hogwarts song and more specifically Fred and George's variation on it. I love that they get to just pick whatever tune they want and just sing. I think it's the dumbest thing, <laughs> and it's I love whenever we have the um, Triwizard Tournament wherever um like. Dermsang comes in, and they're very, like, ha, do this little fight song kind of thing, and this cool little fire dance. And cool. then we get, um, Bobaton, and they're very, like, airy, and they have this very beautiful little dance. And then we have Hogwarts, and they're, like, Hogwarts, 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 <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> and they're all, like, singing to their own tunes. It's just stupid, and I love it.
1: <laughs> it's very, it's very on-brand for Hogwarts.
0: Yeah, and I, I love that um, we see Dumbledore just fully vibing with Fred and George and just <laughs> accepting it, because I feel like it would be very easy for um, a headmaster or any professor to just look at them and just be like, oh, these kids are just, they're just too much. <sighs> but um, instead, Dumbledore just like, yeah, you guys are really going with this, and you guys are really understanding the vibe of this, and he kind of like conducts them for their last few lines and he just um he's very accepting of the ridiculousness that is Fred and George and i love that
1: this is good dumbledore energy like conducting it the is. funeral march aspect like that's that's the dumbledore nitwit blubber oddment tweak we get some good dumbledore moments in this chapter
0: yeah i love it i mean we also get him just being like if you don't want to die don't go in this hallway okay moving on which is not, <laughs> not a like is he mad uh, uh... <laughs> Which is another interesting topic of them, like, being like, is he mad? And it's it's a very off-putting question, but um, it's interesting. I think it's valid to wonder about um, the mental state of somebody who's teaching you and who is in charge of the school that you are living at. But it's also just, like, kind of oddly thrown in there, I think.
1: You say that. as something I always wondered. I remember reading this as a kid, and then they ask, like, is he mad And I always thought that was weird because it just, I don't know, to me that always just kind of sounded like adults do things that I don't understand sometimes. That doesn't mean that they are, you know, having problems. (laughs) Yeah. But
0: I do, I do love that their response to him is just like very casual. He's like, he's very, very brilliant. But yeah, you know, he's a little, he's a little out there. I don't necessarily like using the word mad for it. I think that it's not necessarily appropriate, but these are kids talking, you know.
1: Right.
0: I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt that it's because they're kids. But um, I do like the way that it's kind of presented as like, yeah, he's different, but he's still like the most brilliant person. And so I like that it's handled casually. Because yeah. it could easily be like Draco, who's just like, yeah, he's weird. We to hate him now. <laughs> so, you know, you got to take your, pick your battles.
1: Basically. Totally. It's those creepy little ways where different prejudices work their way into language that mm-hmm. they're so common that you don't even realize it until someone says it. And then you're like, oh, oh. <laughs> and, and yeah. Especially those really common words. Like, we don't really say mad very often in But crazy Um, is something
0: that does get used a lot. And that's something that is used against people. Because, like, if you say someone's crazy, that's usually used as a way to discount what they're saying, essentially. Yeah. So
1: that's why I say wild all the time. It's my favorite replacement for the word. Yeah, it works. (laughs) It does.
0: I think that's kind of feeding us into the next segment a little bit more than the Jonas fuel.
1: A little nastiness here. So enchantingly nasty. We talk about some deeply frustrating moments from the text. And I was maybe it's because I'm in a weird mental place in general, but I my nastiness here was I was getting a really weird vibe. I was feeling extremely anxious while I read this chapter and I think it has to do with the sorting and I think for whatever reason I was super, super absorbed in Harry's anxiety about the sorting ceremony and it just made me think about like like when you're a kid and you are in high school or even middle school and there's this whole social hierarchy that you learn about and you participate in um, and how like how terrifying it would be to your first day of middle school, essentially, you have to go in and, you know, you don't know what you're doing. Are you going to tap dance? Are you going to wrestle somebody? But you have to go in and perform to be, like, put into a certain part of the social order in a very public way. Not the same as just, like, you show up and you have certain friends. Like, this is this is like everybody's getting up on stage and it, i was really feeling the pressure of that and i was really not feeling that that was a good thing to put 11 year olds through that didn't that didn't feel so good to me
0: that just kind of made me think about middle school mm-hmm. and i'm thinking about what 6th grade was like and if on Ugh. the first day i had had to go in front of everybody and have everyone stare at me for something like that i like yeah <laughs> Yeah. That would have been a horrible. There's so much pressure put on you going into middle school. And going into Hogwarts must be, like, dramatically more than that. <laughs> I know. But to then have everybody in the school, including, like, all of these kids who are, like, from 11 up to 17 years old, just staring at you, like, oh,
1: mm-hmm. like, that must be. is this one of us or is this one of them? Like, that's that's yeah. big questions for an 11-year-old <laughs> It's because it, like, was for a 17-year-old.
0: Yeah, and it takes you away from a third of the school. Like, a third of the school all of a sudden is not part of your group anymore. So you then yeah. have, like, a fraction of the amount of people that you're interacting with than you could have in a less structured setting.
1: Sometime we'll have to talk about what different house echo chambers must sound like. Is the you know, what is the Ravenclaw echo chamber or what is the Slytherin echo chamber or the Gryffindor one? Like, when you're just interacting with people in your house, what what things get reinforced just because you're only hanging out with people who value that? Oh, well, they may not actually value it more because who knows when it comes to sorting, but um, mm-hmm. that's interesting.
0: This is just another reason I think you'd love puffs is because you just get to, like... Be in the Hufflepuff. Because, yeah, it it does put you into, like, the Hufflepuff common room and what it's like, and it's all the, like, okay, we're never going to get first place because we're Hufflepuff and nobody cares about us, but we're going for third because we just don't want to be last anymore. We're going (laughs) to do this. We're going to be third. Third or nothing. And (laughs) it's just a very fun but also kind of, like, relevant um glimpse into what it would be like to be in Hufflepuff because it's, it's just been seen as like the extras essentially of just like whoever doesn't fit in those gets put into Hufflepuff and we talked about that a few episodes ago I think but mm. I, I hate that because Hufflepuff is the only house that makes sense for <laughs> school and it's just ridiculous <laughs> because they're You're kids so right. who are going to go to school like why are we saying that kids going into a house who are more balanced who aren't just brave or like ambitious or something are extras like it's a totally normal thing for a child to be especially at 11 years old right? at 11 years old you're very moldable you're very um so ready to be like in a point of change in your life like i am not the person i was as a sixth grader
1: <laughs> are hufflepuffs all just like the most well-adjusted Students, They like,
0: must be, right? <laughs> There's thinking, so much less
1: pressure. You don't have to prove, like, I am the smartest. I am the bravest. I am going to rise to the top. And you just, oh, no, we're just, we're here. We're learning. We're... we're here.
0: We're next to the kitchens. We're having a good time. It's cozy. Man. Yeah.
1: Everyone should want to be a Hufflepuff, even if some of us are himbo jock Gryffindors. <laughs> <laughs> I am so not a Gryffindor. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I am extremely a Gryffindor. I am a gym bro. Like, <laughs> that is that is who I am, but I accept it. <laughs> I accept it and embrace it. Aside from anti-Hufflepuff sentiment, what is your enchantingly nasty for this chapter?
0: Oh, yeah, Corals Turban. 100%. Mm. Um, so it's literally, and this is like a direct quote, is that we call Quarrel's Turban absurd. Um like, whenever we're mentioning looking at Snape, it's um, looking past Coral's absurd turban. Which does not make sense to me. Um, mm. Because there's, we're not given any reason why it's absurd. Um, and it's, it's not something that, like... So, in the movie, Coral is white. And I think we're just supposed to um, assume that he's not of a faith that wears turbans. Um, and that's not something we're ever actually told in -hmm. the book. Um, so in the movie, I I get it, because, like, in the movie, it looks like some white guy who went on a mission trip and was just like, it's fine, I went to India once, so now I can wear a turban. Right. Um, but in the book, all we know is that he's wearing a turban. And so the way that she identifies, um, Lee Jordan in the last chapter, she just says, a boy with dreadlocks, and that's the way that we're supposed to just know that this kid is black. Um... So then to say that Quirrell's wearing a turban, why wouldn't we assume that, oh, this character um, is of one of the faiths or cultures that wears turbans? Mm-hmm. Like, we're not given any reason to not assume that he's wearing it for a faith or cultural reason. So to just call it absurd is, first of all, very shitty. And also, it's just really poor writing, I think. Yeah. It just doesn't give us the information we need to understand why it's absurd. So it just kinda comes off as I don't know if it's racist or if it's um like Islamophobic or something, but it's both <laughs> or both or yeah. I mean it depends there's a couple of cultures or a couple of faiths that wear turbans. So it's I don't yeah. know which which thing we're supposed to be anti turban
1: prejudice. Yeah. And it's a... it's just get the impression that turbans themselves are what is absurd, and that exactly that's, and that's dangerous.
0: That's not okay.
1: No, that is big no no.
0: Yeah, because it's not absurd. I mean, you wouldn't call it, like a hijab absurd or something. Mm-mm. Like, yeah, if Hermione showed up just wearing a hijab once and she said it was for fun, like, yeah, that's a little absurd and messed up. But like that's not what's happening we have a character who we don't know anything about we don't know his culture we don't know his faith and but we're supposed to just believe that it's absurd so the only real explanation for that would just be that turbans are supposed to be absurd and funny looking that's
1: you know up. something that's interesting and uh, i don't want to get too far into it because i am not an expert by any means but it kind of feels like Like in the movie, we see that Coral is white, you know, and we kind Mm -hmm. of get that impression like, oh, maybe he's a, you know, culturally appropriating something that Mm -hmm. isn't his. But, you know, the idea like white by default in like, especially in books, you know, we're just, we're supposed to assume that Coral is white. And that's what makes the turban absurd, which is, it it just adds to the layers of one, the bad writing and two, the like, (laughs) The prejudices and you know this is this was not done well this was definitely yep. a, an enchantingly nasty hallmark
0: and not just like white but like it feels like we're assuming that he's christian as well
1: yeah absolutely which i mean that in a world where magic exists and pagan rituals and potions mm-hmm. we could get into that but uh i don't have eight hours to talk about it so yeah i need to
0: do a lot of research <laughs> i
1: know i would love to
0: but it's a,
1: there, will a a time, thing. <laughs> there will be a time there will be a moment we can bite into that apple <laughs> yes
0: our next segment is acu fandom so in this case we have a fan fiction that kind of helps address some of the things that we would like to be a little more critical of in this chapter yes it's not a fan uh, fiction. I said fan fiction. It's a fan article.
1: Sometimes it's fan fiction. Sometimes it's articles or podcasts. And today we have an article mm-hmm. um, by Victor Chan. This is from MuggleNet. Um, and this is a critical look at sorting. And what I found especially interesting is this talks a little bit about some of the potential psychological effects of sorting, especially when you're that young, Um goes a little bit into talking about the barnum effect which is kind of believing certain information to be true like a character assessment or a horoscope even if that information is very vague not to say that those things are always vague but in the case of the hogwarts houses you know four different traits there are many more than four different traits in all of the land of the human psyche Um, Mm -hmm. so this is pretty vague and, um, it's a really good, I really enjoy this look at the problems with it. We will have it linked, but, um, the article is called why there should be no more sorting at Hogwarts. So take a read if you are interested in dismantling the, uh, establishment at Hogwarts saying that there are four personality types. (laughs) So...
0: And I think we've addressed multiple times that we would like to dismantle that.
1: <laughs> yes. Well, and I think we're about to dismantle it a little more um, in the Department of Social Justice, which we can just poop right into because we Don't are, we're all about sorting. This is the sorting hat chapter. Like, We just need a segment that's just about why we hate sorting. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's, I'll say it's something that I, it's an opinion I did not have as much even a couple of years ago, but um, mm. recently I have become more and more anti sorting. <laughs> it's not. I love the idea of Hogwarts houses, especially like in fandom, you know, having people who. But most fans are, you know, <laughs> in the adult ages nowadays. So it makes more sense for somebody who is an adult to decide if they align more with one of four certain types than an 11-year-old. Um, like at 11 you can't you, you can't they're not even letting them choose their own classes yet at 11 like their own school classes. So why are they choosing their fate? Why are they, you know what, why are, why is their fate being set not just for the rest of school, sorting affects you for the rest of your life? Like in this society everybody knows what house you were in forever there these are alliances and allegiances and like social bonds are being created and enforced that are probably stifling people's ability to grow into more like full rich individuals just based off of where the magic brain of some dude from 1000 AD decides you should be like who you should be learning with and living with like as McGonagall puts it like your house is your family you have all your classes together you sleep in the same area you spend your free time together and you are all part of the same team in the house cup like it just to put so much to, like, pit them against each other is, I think, yeah. the main problem. Because yeah. I don't
0: think there's a problem with having, like, a group that's going to be, like, your study group. They're going to be, like, a group for you to be... Because, obviously, like, for, like, living together, they need to be separated a little bit. As long as you can have, like, a mass, like, sleeping area for all right. these kids. So, like, to some degree, I understand it. It's the part where we're pitting them against each other so much. And not just, like, in a fun, like, house cup kind of, like, play kind of competition. It gets very serious. Like, there's very distinct... Um, prejudices against other houses
1: yeah if we've seen already with like the way people talk about hufflepuffs yeah. and mm-hmm. even the way they talk about slytherins as well already mm-hmm. like there's this belief that all the slytherins are evil and i refuse
0: Which even jk rowling has fed into
1: yes absolutely <laughs> just the way she writes it, like, oh nope no no Slytherin ever stood up for anybody or did anything except snicker at Harry's misfortune. I, I don't buy that. I don't buy Even that like one the bit.
0: the Final book, like none of them wanted to stand and fight for their school. Like they all wanted to side with Voldemort. That makes very little sense to me. Yeah. Unless they were just genuinely all brainwashed, which is really sad.
1: Which and it's like it's possible, but I I don't believe that those. Arbitrary lines ultimately signify, I mean, they signify something, but they, they can be overcome. It's just hard.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Basically, it's a lot more complex than putting kids into a group when they're 11. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, and speaking of like shitty stuff that happens at Hogwarts, um, this may trail a little bit into our next segment, but we are introduced to the ghosts in this chapter, and the bloody baron is a is a murderer, the ghost what? of a murderer whose victim lives in the castle as another ghost. And they are like directly involved with the students sometimes, and this just feels a little bit. This raises some red flags for me, I guess. this just like, a giant red banner, but
0: yeah. <laughs> right, a tapestry. The Grey Lady, Helena, stole her mom's deodem, obviously. We find that out later. And she kind of runs away, which is fine, but her mom becomes fatally ill and wants to see her daughter. So who should she send af- except the Bloody Baron, who is a man who's been, like, in love with Helena. And Helena obviously does not feel the same way. And since he gets in a rage whenever he finds her, rather than bringing her back to see her dying mother, he murders her. Mm-hmm. Because she doesn't want to come back with him. And then he gets suicide out of regret, which is not... That doesn't make him redeemable. No. <laughs> like, glad he felt some regret, I guess, but, like, he murdered her because yep. she didn't want to go back with some guy who was creepily in love with her. Which gives me some, like, Lily Snape vibes, but, um... Mm-hmm won't we'll go there yet. <laughs> um, but then she's like the grey lady is described as being like, um, very quiet and only wanting to talk to like other people in her house and like we see like gonna get really ahead of myself, but whenever they're trying to find out about the DM for her, mm-hmm. like she's very hard to get a hold of because she doesn't want to talk to people outside of her house. And that's probably because she was murdered by a ghost who's also just floating around the school doing whatever he wants. Yeah. Which is horrifying. Like literally her last dying decision was to not go back to Hogwarts with the Bloody Baron, and what happens, but to get forced to be back in Hogwarts with the Bloody Baron for the rest of her, like, I don't want to say life, because she's dead, but... (laughs) Existence. For the rest of her, yeah, her existence. She's now being forced to eternally be in the same building as this man who murdered her, who she had made her last final conscious decision to not be around.
1: And to, like which is sort of fading into our chocolate with madame pomfrey mental health care segment and beyond like there's a lot to say about uh the mental health situation of ghosts even beyond like the gray lady and the bloody baron like there's a real need i feel if these are people who like felt so afraid of death, you know, that there's something tying them to Earth. Mm -hmm. These are people who, you know, need some kind of help. They need they need some kind of you know, you mentioned when we were talking like ghost therapy. Like something maybe to help them pass on, you know, like they I don't like the idea that these are just people who are going to be perpetually stuck in limbo. I don't really believe that 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 can uh, i mean it could happen but that there would be no option whatsoever let's give them an option damn it and nobody's trying to help them at all no it's just kind
0: of accepted that they're there yeah i mean like we see moaning Myrtle, who's obviously like the most miserable ghost ever Mm -hmm. and like yeah she made some pretty terrible decisions (laughs) sure after her death but you know, there's something about just, like, letting the ghost of a child be miserable for an eternity. Mm-hmm. This seems a little messed up.
1: Yeah. I just wonder, like, what, what branch of magic, like, who, you need somebody with mental health care, but, you know, the, the people who study in the Department of Mysteries, I feel like you need somebody yeah. who's educated in those, the mysteries of death and what is beyond the veil, you know, to talk to the ghosts and help them. Even if they are be so cool, right?
0: Just like a secret like squad of Department of Mysteries that just like handles like death related
1: mysteries and magic therapy squad. They yes. help everyone cope with the reality of death and dying. That's fascinating. I love it. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Things we need.
0: But yeah, basically I want a ghost therapist. So it's basically just a ghost whisperer, but um, magical absolutely because um, we get like the death day party so we get like some sense that like they have their own culture as deaths uh, as death they have their own culture as ghosts and that they do have like some things that they look forward to but even like at his party like nearly had Nick is just like burdened by all of this like um um self-consciousness of just like I didn't even die correctly like I can't even join this group of people who are beheaded because my beheading didn't go well. I <laughs> know. Which, like, his beheading must have been way more traumatic uh, than any other yeah. one. Because it wasn't, like... And I think he says at some point, like, nobody wishes more than I that it had been, like, one swift, like, <laughs> strike. And I'd been... Be- but no. Like, someone <laughs> I won't get into the details, but, like... <laughs> He had a much more traumatic death than a lot of other people who were being beheaded, which is something to say, because being <laughs> beheaded is probably a very traumatic experience.
1: Regardless. like,
0: uh. So, like, can you imagine, though, like, to just go through something so horrible, it's, just, like, such a terrible death that you just wake up and you're just, like, burdened by your death? Yeah. I mean, fuck. <laughs> right? For, like, a century and then for like eternity after that.
1: And it's then wild people people are so insensitive to ghosts too, which is really sad to see. Yeah. I mean
0: there's not a lot of respect for them.
1: No, there's not. There's a lot of I think to a certain extent like some of the joking is A little bit healthy, some of it, not all of it, Mm -hmm. but like, you know, we we tell jokes to deal with when things we're uncomfortable with, and it is very normal to be uncomfortable with the concept of death and therefore ghosts. That, you know, makes total sense to me, but then like, I don't know, the way that Ron talks about moaning Myrtle in Chamber of Secrets sometimes is a little bit like, okay, Ron, that's mean. We don't need to be, you don't have to be mean and,
0: a girl who was like killed and mm-hmm. it's just perpetually miserable
1: yeah like so somebody who's stuck in like a certain psychological or emotional state and uh like yeah she may be like screaming in a bathroom which is by itself kind of a weird funny thing just you know when you think about it by itself but the context I do love
0: that she like went on to just like harass and haunt her bully. Oh hell yeah. Kind of funny. A little messed up and I do agree with the fact that they were like, Okay, you can't do that anymore, <laughs> you gotta come go back to Hogwarts. <laughs> But like you know, there's there's definitely some parts of Moaning World that are just like fun,
1: but um, oh, yeah most
0: of the things are not.
1: <laughs> no. She's she needs a lot of therapy. And of course yeah. she does. She was murdered by Tom Riddle and his snake. Like
0: yeah, and like she doesn't even remember what happened. She no. just woke up and they were like
1: you're dead. And it's like I feel like nobody truly told her either, which is so messed up. Like yeah. If you're going to be if you're conscious, you know what I mean? Like if you have a spirit that people can interact with and they mm-hmm. could have told you about your death, somebody should have done something about that.
0: Yeah, I agree. Like and especially Dumbledore, I think. Oh, I know. Oh, yeah. I also don't like that we um aren't respecting um we call near, Nearly Headless Nick Nearly Headless Nick even though he's repeatedly told mm. people like I would prefer if you call me by my actual name rather than Nearly Headless Nick because that's
1: <laughs> kind of a messed up nickname. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> like that's not what you you don't call somebody based on a horrific accident that they <laughs> oh my god (laughs) not an accident but a horrific trauma that they had like you don't have to call him his full name like you don't have to call him like nicholas no just call him sir nicholas like it's not that hard hey nick like yeah which harry does harry does do that when he talks to him and that's one of the reasons that nick does like him but um
1: Right. Now, I think every once in a while, if he's if he's okay with it and accepts it, like, an occasional beheading joke is probably common among ghosts because they're dead, right? Everyone died a certain way, but...
0: But he has this major trauma about it because he's so upset that he can't join the headless hunt. No, And they keep calling him nearly headless. It's
1: like, look... I'm like, he was beheaded! <laughs> and he can't change it. Like, this is a... You can't go back and, like there's there's no coming back from this this is something that is not like oh one day maybe it'll change nope nope
0: yeah <laughs> and it's not like his his ghost isn't like the form of him before his ghost is literally in the state that it was in when he died yeah which is a very like there's a lot of different ways that ghosts are depicted in different stories and it kind of reminds me of um have you ever watched um stardust Mm-mm. okay well it's a very good movie But there's um, these ghosts in it at the end, and it's these brothers, and as they die, their ghost kind of appears, and they all kind of hang out together, because they're all, like, fighting against each other. Mm -hmm. But their ghosts always show up exactly the way that they died. So, like, one guy, like, fell off a giant tower or whatever, and he shows up, like, kind of, like, with his face all smushed up. And, like, um, one guy died, like, in the bath, and so his ghost is, like, naked, and he's like, don't look at me. (laughs) (laughs) And, like, it's just a very, it's supposed to be kind of humorous, because it's just, um... But they're not permanent like that. They're just there until, like, the end of the movie and then they can Mm. pass on. But in this case, these ghosts are here permanently, essentially, and they're in the state that they died in, which is just, it must be so upsetting, like, to not be able to change the way that you're presenting to the world when you're presenting in the way that was how you died, like, that was the most traumatic um, moment in your life.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, we need some compassion for these folks, except the Bloody Baron, but. Yeah, fuck him. Yeah. <laughs> um, I
0: think it's interesting that um, Ron's just like, why is he covered in blood? And Nick's like, I never asked. And it's like, maybe you should
1: have because
0: he's in a school full of children. Haven't
1: you been here for like hundreds of years? Never? You never asked? Like. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's a. A ghost courtesy, like maybe you just don't ask how somebody has died if they don't offer it.
0: You don't have to ask him to like find out though. Like
1: it's (laughs) no, it's not that hard
0: to find out that he murdered the other ghost that's in the novel.
1: It's so easy to find out because it is incredibly relevant to the story. So there are many people (laughs) who probably have access.
0: Like it's it should be somewhat like Hermione. You should know. Yeah, I bet she does. she read about it. Come on. You know who I do love, though, is um, the Fat Friar.
1: Oh, the Fat Friar is incredible.
0: Who also has a messed up nickname.
1: Yes, but he does understand the importance of Peeves and the chaos that Peeves brings to the school.
0: Well, and he died healing people. Do you know that?
1: Mm Mm-mm, but that's amazing. So he had been
0: using his magic to heal people, um, and then he got accused of being... A witch, basically. Oh. And that's why he was killed, which is kind of humorous because, like, it's one of the times when somebody actually was a witch so that got <laughs> right. accused of it. Um, but he got caught because he was, like, healing people, which is just such a Hufflepuff thing. Right?
1: <laughs> Ghosts. We also have Snape for this section. Oh, um, That's a long... That's yeah. Long. <laughs> that's a <laughs> conversation to be had. So, um... As we've stated earlier, neither of us are super huge Snape fans, but this feels like an appropriate moment to have a little bit of compassion for the fact that, you know, you probably feel really guilty when you are the reason that your lost love was murdered by your boss because of you, and then you see your, you know, her child show up at school and you know that's that's pretty shitty and that probably did not have any positive contributions to snape's mental state that year so you know that sucks not a good excuse for the shit that you did snape but it still sucks
0: i think since we probably already chased away the people who like snape anyway i'm just gonna say that um <laughs> if you didn't want to be triggered by um by Harry showing up to school, you could have just not become a teacher. Yeah, That would have been a nice option because um, you probably deserve to be in jail anyway, so maybe just leave. And then there won't be a big problem, right?
1: Right. Great. Just get out, and like, this is this is the horrible trap that Snape and Dumbledore have combined set for him, where he is basically stuck in this forever limbo of never leaving his mind state from when he was in high school. And don't do that to yourself. You're going to hurt yourself and you're going to hurt other people. And he does both of those things constantly.
0: Stop. It's another great um, example of why it's really important to like process major events like that is Mm -hmm. because you can really Like, it's not that surprising that he wound up being so consumed by that. Yeah. Because he really, I mean, he just was like, it's my fault. And he just stopped there. He didn't do any of the work to say, like, it's my fault. And that's um, why I should maybe, like, process this. Because I'm not the victim here. Yeah. Instead, he was just like, it's my fault. I suck. I'm just going to be poor sad me for the rest of my life.
1: I've had somebody in my life who said, like, I'm a terrible person and I'm not going to change. And I feel like that's the energy I'm getting from Snape. Like, he knows that what he did was not good and that it was mm-hmm. wrong, but he's not hes not actually working to change who he right.
0: is. He just went back to Hogwarts. Like, he's literally reverting yeah. back to where he was as a kid
1: don't do that And it's not
0: to try to improve himself it's not to try to like be better than he was before he's literally staying the same person Mm -hmm. and like while we're supposed to believe that he's there as like a spy and that he's on the side of good there was years and years where he wasn't a spy he was just teaching at hogwarts
1: and being an asshole still
0: right like i mean we don't know much about how he was but i really doubt he was just like a nice kind teacher until harry showed up (laughs) it doesn't seem that doesn't make any sense um so it just it doesn't i mean none of it makes sense with him it's very weird and just inexcusable yeah i think i also hate that um the potion both potions teachers that we get both him Horner, um Slytherins and that they've got like I don't want to say that they're evil necessarily but they're both kind of on the side of like self-gain kind of things because I think that potions is such like a cool part of like magical culture things and in most aspects when you see like potions witches it's um, also witches who are very connected to like nature and things like that and it's kind of more of like a herbology connected type of thing. So I think it's kind of annoying to see it turned into this, like, potions dungeon, Mm. and it's used as, like, dark things, and here's a drought of living death, and I wish that it was more of a, like, here's the healing potion, and here's, like, all these herbs that we can use to, like, do magical things, instead it's just used as, like, there's a lot of potions in the Harry Potter series that are very clearly for Mm self-gain, which is also something that's not really an aspect in most other magical um like fandoms and things yeah like, normally when you read something that's based on witches and stuff that's one of like the first rules because like when you look at like um like pagan like origins and things like that and um what's the other one Wiccan. yeah like pagan and wiccan things one of the main things is that that you're not doing this um for, like, self-gain. This is not for you to, like, become a powerful person. Yeah. This is to be used to connect with nature. It's to be used to um, to heal and be part of, like, a community and things. And so I don't like that the potions class is turned into, like, here's a good luck potion. And here's, like, a poison. And here's um, this thing that causes Hermione's teeth to grow. And here's a thing that causes all these warts to come up on your skin. Mm-hmm. And it's. I don't like that. I think that it's very um, counterintuitive from what I would imagine most magic to be like in literally any other series.
1: (laughs) Yeah. there's When you add in the, like, this is the creepy dungeon of ingredients, I feel like Mm -hmm. part of the stigma that exists about practicing, like, pagans and Wiccans is that, like... I don't know that it's creepy to practice in some of the ways that people do. Like maybe they'll, you know, maybe people will collect bones or, you know, like a cicada skin or something, or like a a dead bug, which like, I, I get the like basic like ew dead bugs, but like these, you know, these are, it's about connecting with nature and using elements of nature. And it doesn't have to be this big, creepy, spooky Thing And then throwing everybody mm-hmm. into the dungeon with frog eyes, you know, <laughs> like it's, it, it's not a helpful, it's not a, it doesn't do anything for the pagan cause, but I don't think JKR really cares about that. But
0: yeah, I think, um, it's interesting too, because before the witch trials, which is obviously very, very long time ago, um, before all of that happened with the witch trials. Um, Magic was like in witchcraft was something that was seen as um, people making um, like tonics and things using herbs and stuff to help heal. That was one of the main things that like magic, so to speak, was used for.
1: Yeah, like herbal medicine.
0: Exactly. And this was before, you know, we had reliable medicine. This was before we had prescriptions is before we had like surgeries that weren't you know terrifying Mm -hmm. right (laughs) it was back when we were like bleeding people and using leeches and (laughs) giving people mercury Mm -hmm. (laughs) like so it began as such a I don't want to say respected thing because it's still kind of like not their kind of situation but but they they worked so hard to create this image that that's what women were doing and that's what they used as an excuse to burn hundreds of thousands of people. Mm -hmm. Mainly like women who had done nothing wrong. Yep. And like anytime like somebody didn't like someone, they could just say like, she's a witch. I saw her doing this or that. And there's things that you can look at like the actual accusations that these people were facing. And there are things that obviously did not happen. Right. Like very clearly there's like talks of like possession and things like that. And it just, and how they had these, like, marks of the devil on them that could just be, like, a freckle. It was, like, and women were, like, taken and, like, their heads were shaved and everything because they were just looking and they were, like, stripped and stuff to look for these marks of the devil on them. And if they found, like, a mole or freckle or something, they would just say, look, she's been marked by the devil. And they would just put her to death.
1: Yep. It's so fucked. I would have been fucked. I got way too many freckles for that. Like.
0: (laughs) And scars, too, if you had a scar. That was mm
1: -hmm. it's it's like it's really frustrating when you're reading a book about magic and then having like things get the way that stereotypes have been twisted about pagan, you know, like Earth Earth centered religious practices get kind of literally demonized. It's mm-hmm. it's just very frustrating because like it is with any stereotype, you know, like these are witchcraft is a thing that people actually practice as their spiritual practice. It just feels frustrating to have somebody talk about toad's eyes and ooh creepy dungeon like chop up your caterpillars.
0: Mm-hmm. I could go on about the witch trials forever. I'm very mad about them and <laughs> yeah. But the fact that this is, like, something that, like, actually happened, I think that people forget about, like, how major this was. I don't think people understand how many people were murdered and in such a horrible way that it's, it's very, it's something that I don't think people acknowledge that was a real thing. Because we talk about, like, the Salem Witch Trials. Which were, like, Salem Witch Trials teen were nothing yeah. compared to what happened across, all across Europe. Like, it was... It, it like it was the amount of people that died in like a major major war or something. Yeah. I think it was even more than the amount of people who died in most wars. Like tons and tons of people and these were innocent people, these were children even, who were being burned at the stake. It just makes me very upset. So It's it's
1: <laughs> very upsetting. It's Yeah,
0: but to then like come and have this like depiction of magic include things that are not helping is sad. Yeah. the fact that it's it's still like present today it's been like a thousand years (laughs) like exactly it's horrifying it just like feels like we're not like learning our lessons from history and that's very sad because there's a lot of (laughs) lessons we need to learn from history
1: no kidding (laughs) oh man giving me some into the pensive fuel though I didn't know I was gonna say but I think I know now
0: I think all of that needs to be my into the pensive because I was definitely not chocolate with
1: monopolis (laughs) fair enough in Into the Pensive, we reflect on what this chapter means to us and how we can kind of move forward from it. I think what I am feeling after all of this is how stepping into this wizarding school is like, it feels really important as far as like our our mental state as we are reading these books and the way that it has shifted for each chapter And I think that this is a really significant um, space psychologically while you are reading these books, especially all seven of them together, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And that this is a, that Hogwarts is a sacred place, you know, and there is something almost spiritual in coming back to Hogwarts. Um if not spiritual, then very emotional, Uh, you know, like, it's really important. And it feels really frustrating to see, I don't know, like, blood on the walls of the temple. That's, that's kind of how it feels like this, like, we have these, these ghosts who are creating um, an environment for the students, which, you know, is filled with murderers and unprocessed feelings and yuckiness and not respecting people's uh, bodies and their wishes about how they want to be addressed. You have the whole practice of, like, witchcraft that is kind of distorted from how it is practiced in some ways in everyday, like, real life when it is still practiced. And it's just really emphasizing, I guess, the importance of being able to see hogwarts for the sacred space that it is for like us as readers returning to it and feeling comfort from it but you know it, it, this is really that perfect example of like being critical of something that you love because as sacred as it is the it is not a model for how we need to be understanding our lives we don't have to understand our lives exactly through these books the way that they are written which I know that sounds like something obvious, but I think that the same way we talk about like brainwashing and when you learn something at a really young age, it sticks with you and it can be hard to break out from it. This is one of those really important places that like, it's important that we not be beholden to exactly the way witchcraft is portrayed and exactly the way death is portrayed in, in our everyday lives. Um, when compared to these books, this is a really important place to think about how, how we have related to the books is going to start to change and break the further we get in and not break like our relationship to these books is doomed, but you know, these important ways that we can break away from maybe some of the less helpful thought patterns that the books brought us into. Exactly thank you everyone for listening you can join us next week when we discuss chapter eight the potions master <laughs> oh that's gonna be a fun one
0: <laughs> it's gonna be an interesting time oh yeah in the meantime though in the meantime you can follow us on social media on instagram and facebook we are beyond the veil pod and on twitter we are beyond the veil mn Witchcraft had such beautiful roots and then it was turned into um a conspiracy of these women are going out and eating babies and they're flying away and they're dancing naked with the devil in the woods and like that
1: stuff only um, happens like every five years that's not a regular exactly
0: thing. like we only do that like when the moon's in the right place mm-hmm. like it's very rare so to like <laughs> just put everybody in that room. <laughs>